up, everyone? I hope you're doing fantastically well today. This is Raphael Garcia here with Sean Humes for episode 177 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Today is Tuesday, September 8th, and we were not with you guys last week because we just got a little bit busy. You know, these Dana White Contender Series keep coming, but tonight was a good one. Uh, Sean, did you watch the show tonight, and what's going on with you? Uh, I actually... Didn't get a chance to catch it. I uh, came in late on it because I was up tra- picking up a new kid, kid. I started training. So without trying yeah, to help, help another kid get their game together. Huh? Uh, so tell me about this kid you're trying to help out there, man. Uh, it's just uh, he's a kid in middle school. Uh, he plays on plays up, I guess, with high school kids during the summer. His dad's trying to get his uh, IQ up, shot, his, uh, shot a little bit better and teaching him how to get into the paint. So it's like a lot of just IQ and rep stuff, little detail stuff. He knows how to play. It's just getting him to play smart, basically what I'm trying to do. True, true, true. How's everything else going on on your end? Uh, kids just started school today, so that was great. Um, seems like everything's going all right. But uh, other than that, it's as usual, just first week of school. So see how that goes. New school, new school for everybody. So it's kind of a nerve-wracking for them, but everybody seems to be doing all right so far. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. So let's go ahead and start talking about a couple of different things from this past weekend. We got some, we got plenty of fights to preview this coming weekend. Uh, we have a UFC card and two Bellator cards this weekend. So we're going to talk about a couple of bits of those. We're going to talk about some boxing as well and take in some listener questions. But before we do that, as always, I want to take the time to thank you, everyone who's taken the time to listen to our content. Please be sure to check us out on the flagship at MMARatings.net, first and foremost. And then you can catch us over on Instagram and Twitter at MMA Ratings Net in both spots, on YouTube at MMA Ratings, and you can also catch us across multiple podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Anchor as well. Thank you again. I'm I'm R Garcia Sports on Twitter, and Schwan is Black Jordan Breen, so you can check check both of us out there as well. And we're going to jump right into it and start off with UFC Fight Night 176, where Alistair O'Brien picked up a strong stoppage win. I think it was in the fourth round of the main event, where he stopped Augusto Sky, Sky via st- uh, strikes on the ground. And O'Brien, man, he just keeps winning. He doesn't go away. And he's talking about putting together one last run at the title. Now, he's in a position where the top names have defeated him. Curtis Blaze beat him, Francis Ngannou stopped him, and Stipe Miocic already stopped him as well. So if you were in a in a position to set up some booking, Schwann, where would you go next with Alistair Overeem in order to keep him active, but potentially keep him in a position where he may be able to fight for a title before this run is done? Um, I mean, if, if Derek Lewis was open, and for Derek Lewis, I'd like that fight better too than the fight with Curtis Blades. I'd probably try to go for a Derek Lewis fight. Um, Rose struck, even though he lost him late in the fifth round with that one, that's a good rematch. I got guys coming off a win over um, JDS, a fairly impressive stoppage win. Um, I don't know that a lot of other fights make a lot of sense at this stage if it's not someone like a Derek Lewis or a Rose struck. That's the only people I can think of. I mean, John Jones would be a good fight, but I think Jones is trying to get, get straight to the title. I don't think he's trying to take any uh, build-up fights or set-up fights to acclimate to the weight class. I think he's going right in and he wants a title shot with either Stipe or to get Ngannou if Ngannou wins the title. But uh, I think 
those would be the two that's fights for him at this stage right now. I mean, I guess, yeah, come, you want a guy coming off a win because he wants to move forward to a title shot. So it's got to be a guy coming off a win. Uh, potentially fighting a guy who's coming off a loss is too much of a risk. You know what? I'll, I'll switch that. I have three. I would say Derek Lewis is already off the table, so, but I would like him to be the best fight. Ben Rothwell or Jared Rosenstruck are the two other guys. Both guys are coming off wins. Both guys have wins over Overeem. I think a win over either one of them puts them one step closer to potentially having a title fight. I think if he could be one of those guys, he'd probably have to win one more fight and then he'd be in the line for a title shot. So you mentioned John Jones first. That's a fight that a lot of people have kind of thrown out there. And I don't think Dana White's already said that he's not going to put John Jones directly in a um, title shot, which is, you know, it's asinine for whatever, whatever it is. It's just, it's just a backward situation. It's, 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 I don't understand how he's a fantastic booker and he makes decisions like these, but that's, that's neither here nor there. It, do you think that a fight with Overeem and Jones is enough for either one of those men, regardless of who wins, to claim, take to stake a claim as a as a next contender to the title if they were to, to book that fight? Well, for Jones, if Jones beats Overeem, Overeem, as fragile as he is, his ability to, to recover from damage being historically bad, the fact of the matter is still, even now, Overeem is still one of the what, top three most skilled heavyweights in the history of mixed martial arts. I mean, this guy who's world-class striker, has submitted more than a few people j- during his time in pride and is at least a competent enough grappler to get people to the ground for the ground and pound. Um, he's pretty much won every single way possible in mixed martial arts, and he's fought, you know, any number of world-class guys and beaten them. Whether he's lost or he's won, he's won more than he's lost, but even then, he's, he's fought pretty much the best of the best in heavyweight division from, what, mid-2000s, late, two, late 2000s, early 2010 to now? So he's he's faced everybody, he's beat everybody. For Jones to fight him, that would be a good test of his skills to see how Jones' strength holds up. Because Overeem's still one of the bigger, stronger guys. He's still one of the better athletes. And Overeem's a good enough striker that we can see if Jones' legendary chin and his recuperative abilities holds up at the heavy, to the heavyweight standard. At the same instance, for, in the benefit of Jones, Overeem isn't notoriously well-conditioned when you push your face on him. He isn't particularly good at taking punishment or recovering from punishment. So that would give Jones a clear path to victory. For Overeem, Jones is the only interesting matchup in, in the UFC in the heavyweight division. Ganganu, Stipe has already been done, and it was fairly one-sided. Stipe is not a particularly exciting champion. Curtis Blades isn't a particularly exciting fighter. Derek Lewis is exciting for the most part, but that's only when he's engaged with the, a willing partner. A lot of these guys, these fights won't draw interest. They won't get fan interest. They won't drive the bottom line of the pay-per-view pay-per-views. So a fight with Jones, if he could beat a guy like Jones, even though Jones is unproven to heavyweight, it would get fan attention. It would get a big buildup. And it would possibly set him up to be somewhat of a, uh, somewhat of a draw temporarily if he could get a free match with Nganu or Stipe, whoever has a title after that. So it works in both, in both guys' favor. I just didn't think that Jones would want to Take a take a fight before fighting for the title, but if he did, Overeem would probably be the safest fight because of his lack of durability. But he'd also be the guy who would help him establish himself the most because Overeem's a guy who doesn't really have a, a hole in his skill set. 
not an egregious one like most heavyweights. So Jones beating Overeem, even at this stage, would still be a feather in his cap because Overeem still shown himself to be very competitive, even in losses. Let's talk about that Stipe fight real quick because you said it was pretty one-sided. Overeem did drop him. Um, and- oh, no, no, no. I meant, I, meant, I, meant, I meant the interest in a Stipe. Like, there's no interesting fights in heavyweight division. Stipe versus Ngannou, nobody's going to pay, put down big bucks for that. Stipe versus Blade, no, that's not a big, exciting fight either. Stipe versus Jones gets the blood running. Stipe facing Overeem would probably be more exciting matchup than other fights. Stipe facing Overeem after he beats Jones would be would also help generate some interest. But for the majority of the guys ahead of, of Jones and Overeem, they're not exciting. They're not fan favorites. They haven't they haven't put on performances that will really draw attention to you that says, hey, I need to see this guy again, with the exception of Ngannou. Go ahead. And, you know, I was going to say, I think that I can, I can agree with you there for the most part. Uh, I think that the fight that people want to see is that Stipe versus uh, Jones fight. And that's why, like I said, I don't understand why Dana White is adamant in cutting his foot off, cutting, what is it, cutting your nose off in spite of your face. Like, why do that? But I do believe that that is the best fight for them to make. It's the most interesting for Stipe at this point in time. And to be honest, I don't think they have much more of Stipe from a time standpoint. That I don't think he's going to be around that much longer. So they may want to book this fight while they still can't. You know, Stipe, and, and I, I'm a fan of Stipe, but the fact of the matter is he's doing the same thing he accused Don, Dan, Daniel Cormier of doing. Daniel beat him. He wanted to fight. Daniel wanted to fight Brock Lesnar because Daniel knocked Stipe out in one round. So to him, what am I fighting this guy again before I get my money fight? Stipe is saying, now, I've already handled Ngannou. I dominated him. I don't, that, that's not interesting to me. I want a boxer. I want a big name. So essentially, they're doing the same thing. And you're right. I don't think Stipe is in love with the sport anymore. I don't think he likes the way the UFC treats him. And I think he could, as far as being a UFC champion, especially now that he's regained his belt and defended it twice against Cormier, I think he could really take it or leave it as far as maintaining his position as a uh, UFC fighter. I don't. I don't know how much. I don't know how much they pay him, but I don't think there's any law of loss between them where he forced himself to do it if he did. If, if he wasn't getting paid a huge amount of money to do so. Man, I'm not really going to disagree with you on, on too much within that uh, conversation. There, how much? How much more do you think we have of Overeem at this point in in his career? The man's been doing it since been doing it. Like, how much longer do you think he'll be around? Well, I mean. I, I think he probably finishes out this last run. Like, if he can put two or three wins together, I think he wants to go out with a title shot. And skill-wise, and as far as experience and versatility, I don't see why there's any reason why he couldn't. The question becomes, because right now he's still one of the most talented heavyweights. He's probably a top three talented heavyweight. Probably right now top one or two as far as skill set. Um, and as far as experience, there's, there's really nobody else in the UFC who who's got much more than him. So, But given his age and the fact that he's never been particularly durable, every fight got a high risk reward. That's why he's only trying to, he's trying to get fights with guys who wins. He's trying to get fights with guys who can take him, who can maximize, maximize a fight with him. He beats a guy, he wants to move up two spots. He doesn't want to just fight guys and slowly work his way out. He knows he's got maybe a year or two left. He's trying to get the right wins over the right guy so that he can move up and basically, basically be in the circle for as a potential contender. So I, I would say he's probably got at least another two years. In heavyweight, he probably could fight another three or four. So 
to be quite honest. But I think he's going to ride this out until he can get to potentially a title fight. So I'm saying maybe another year and a half, two years, and that's if he wins. If he, he loses another two fights, he'll probably end up retiring. Because once he feels he's officially, he's going to be like Cormier. Once I no longer feel I can compete for a title, there's no longer no point for me being out here. And right now he still feels he's, he's in line, or at least in the conversation for a title fight. Is he the best individual that's fought in the UFC and never held a title? Uh, given the heavyweights notoriously thin and at other weight classes, if he was another weight, I feel like he would have been exposed a little bit earlier. Some of the other holes in his skill set that, that just can't be exposed by heavyweights, I wouldn't say that. But um, from, from that regard, I feel like the other weight class is more, more competitive. There's more guy, There's less of a gap between the elite guys and the rest of them so they're constantly more competitive but i guess if you just look off look, look off of um, actual combat sports accomplishments i mean uh, winning championships in kickboxing um winning a i think he won a couple grand prix and he's been a strike force champion if i recall correctly a dream champion as well then yeah if you go just purely off of titles and things he's done outside the ufc combined with the, the wins he's had in the ufc then yeah you can say that because a lot of other guys who are in the ufc don't have titles didn't win titles in other places. You know, Joseph Benavidez never won a title. Uh, Faber, Faber won one, but it was only in one organization. Someone like Overeem, he's won titles in multiple, multiple organizations and multiple disciplines. So from that regard, yeah, he he probably be the best guy. But if you look at it, all things being e- equal, comparing weight classes, there's no way because there's like six, seven, eight weight classes that are more competitive than the heavyweight division. I think. The first thing that always comes to mind in this conversation is Dan Henderson, and I get it. Uh, you know, he was double pride champion. He had his big wins, especially the one over Crocop, um, I believe, that he had. So I, I get why people really flock to him, first and foremost, when we have this conversation. The other name that I think doesn't get a lot of respect is Jake Shields. I don't think he gets a lot of uh, recognition when we have this conversation, because remember, he beat Dan Henderson. He beat a lot of guys, and um, I think that that doesn't get a lot of respect to as well, but Alistair Overeem is probably on that list, definitely within the within the top three, easy. So I want to move on and talk about OSP because he got a big stoppage as well. And the kind of see uh, Alonzo Minifield, I don't even know how he's in the UFC to be quite frank. He's just one of those big muscle guys who, yeah, he gives you the opportunity of getting like a big big ass highlight reel knockout finish, but the dude doesn't throw enough for that. So to see OSP basically pick him apart and finish him in that type of way doesn't surprise me much at all so what are you what are you taking from this win is this an important win from osp or is this what we expected from him well it's a very to me it's a very important win osp the story with osp isn't it's never been an issue of talent it's never been an issue of his frame it's never been an issue of him having heart the story that's going to be told about osp when his career is over is the fact that he remained loyal to a camp that seemed to be unable or unwilling to make push him forward as far as his technical development, his IQ, and a strategic approach to how he fights people. OSP has made minor improvements, but for all intents and purposes, OSP is this OSP is very similar to the one two years ago. is very similar to the one two years before that. You see flashes of brilliance. You see flashes of moments where you see an improvement. You see some depth. You see some some width in his skill set. But for the for the large part of his career, he's basically been the same guy. He fights in spots. 
He's more of a counter puncher. He gets tall in the pocket, and he's been punished repeatedly for that. At times, he can be outworked. He doesn't really have a – even though he has a lot of submissions, he doesn't really have a developed, fleshed-out grappling game. There's been lots of instances where he's been worked over on the ground, repeatedly taken down or gassed out, getting in grappling exchanges. And with a guy with his level of experience, having fought almost everybody in the light heavyweight division, you would just think that certain issues he has, certain mistakes he makes in fights just wouldn't be there. You feel he would be a better fighter at this stage than, than he is. And I still feel he's a fighter who relies heavily on his durability, his length, and his athleticism. Against Minfield, Minfield, I thought was a dangerous fight for him just because OSP tends to have defensive lapses, especially when guys kind of explode on him and, and give him a lot to deal with right away. Now, Minifield is very predictable. He, he's not the greatest grappler. He's not much of a wrestler, per se. He's not a very technically sound offensive striker nor defensively responsible striker, but he's big, he's strong, he's willing to take some to get some, and he's very explosive. And we've seen guys like that get to OSP before. We've seen OSP get, get beat by guys who didn't have his level of experience or his level of skill. We've seen that before. So it's not, not like it's out of the question. Um, I was happy to see that OSP was able to maintain his poise. I was happy to see that OSP was essentially able to use his range, but the fact of the matter is, OSP still took a lot of power punches. He was still taking a lot of abuse. He still took some some shots. It wasn't like he just walked through this guy and and dismantled him. This guy was getting to him. He had a hard time adjusting to the speed, because usually OSP is a faster guy. Usually OSP is a stronger guy. Usually OSP is a more explosive guy. And now that he's on the backside of his career, those things aren't guarantees against these young up-and-comers so even though he was able to land power shots he was able to pick his shots a little bit well when he got hurt he was able to navigate through those spots because that's what veteran experience brings you to but to a certain degree if you're if you're a coach or a strategist you have to say how was he in those spots to begin with just off his kicks alone he should have more tools a kick his kicks and those long jabs should have been enough for him to never be in those spots how do you get to get in those spots against guy with that limited experience with that limited technical skill set because OSP hasn't progressed the way he should have been. He should have been progressing. It's one thing, you know what I'm saying? If that makes any sense. No, it does make sense that he's not progressing the way you would expect someone to at 36 years of age and at this point in his career. Let me ask you this: At 36, is he what we thought he like? Is this the? Is this it for him from a skill standpoint and an ability to be um, viable in this division or in this sport? Well, in the is light heavyweight, is this the best we've seen from him? We will see. I mean, to be honest, when he when he fought when he fought Ben Rothwell, I felt that he he put a pretty good fight up there against Ben Rothwell. I felt the size the size and, and Rothwell's power was an issue, but once again, that's because of defensive lapses and in, in OSP's approach. He he just has the defensive lapses that he can't afford to have. If he could manage these defensive lapses, a lot of guys have a hard time dealing with his length, his power, and his kicking game. He, he'd really be able to just dismantle a lot of guys. He kicks harder than John Jones. He kicks harder than John Jones, and he's, to me, he's a little bit more, he's a little bit more deliberate with his kicks than John Jones. But you see John Jones go years without getting punished. You've never seen OSP go one, one fight without getting punished. So, but given, given the of a division, the fact is they have all these young guys who may have athleticism, who may have size, and may have power, they lack a certain amount of experience. They lack a certain amount of poise. They lack a certain amount of defensive awareness. They don't know what it's like to be pushed back because in this weight class, you have an athletic advantage is basically all it takes. Most guys can't handle it. They're not used to guys being on their level or being close to it. 
So they don't know how to act when that when those bombs they throw don't don't knock you out. They don't know what it's like to get beat to the punch. They don't know what it's like for a guy to snap them right back when they hit them. It, it's a shock to their system, and they can't navigate it. That's what happened in Minifield. So OSP is still going to be able to do work against these lower-level guys. He's still going to be able to beat some of the older guys. At this stage, even the most veteran guys, they're, he's, they don't have his durability. They don't have his ability to recover. So if he lands the right shot, he's putting them away. But the issue with OSP is the same issue it's always been. His game is very disjointed. He can find a submission, but if you're, you're a grappler, you've seen a submission, you're like, that wasn't very well set up. I mean, that guy got in a bad position. He took advantage of it. He didn't work that guy into that position. He didn't walk that guy in that position. He got a submission because the guy chased the takedown. He got it. The guy overextended a submission attempt. He got it. He stunned the guy on the feet, dropped him, got on top of him, submitted him. It's not one through five. It's one, five. He's skipping all the steps. He just is a good enough, strong enough athlete. He can finish, and he's got enough knowledge. He has these holes in his game that he has not filled, so his game is very disjointed and it's defensively irresponsible. That means even though he's got the experience and durability and skill to beat anybody, he's just as likely to get put right out there by a guy who's got no IQ, no awareness, and no real depth of skill just because defensively he freezes up and offensively he's still not really refined in anything he does, whether it's grappling or striking. I mean, Minifield had moments. Minifield could have won this fight. He buckled his knees. He could have won this fight. But Minifield didn't have the poise, and Minifield didn't have the maturity. He, there was such a gap that he took advantage of it. Against these more seasoned guys, he's not going to have that gap. He's going to make the mistakes. And when he makes those mistakes, he loses. And he loses a lot to guys he shouldn't be losing to. So I don't want to spend too much time more on OSP. He's just not – he just – he's OSP. You know, we're going to be saying the same thing about him next year as we are – one thing, every time we've talked about a fight for him, you notice my assessment of him and my issues with him have not changed. We've been doing the show for like, what, two, three, four years, five years? It's never changed. It's always the same thing with changed. him. Exactly. It's going to be the same thing. And just like Coach um, Danny Green said, rest in peace. You know, they are who we thought they are. That's really it. Yep. He, he ain't never going to change. What else uh, stood out from you on the, for you on this card? Uh, on this card, the Montella De La Rosa fight, um, I felt that she really had a chance to kind of push her career forward and get a, a, a fairly big win. Um, and and she, she just fought a very, she just fought a very, very, very dumb fight. Um, it's clear that she's been working on her striking, but the, the thing about working on your strike, it's the thing that all grapplers do. No offense to grapplers. I'm a fan of grappling, but every time a grappler starts working on their grappling, the first thing they do is overcommit, excuse me, works at their striking. They overcommit to their striking. They start, you know, you hit the pad, you feel like you got a rhythm. Oh, I got a good combination. Oh, feel how I hit that pad, I got that power. And instead of slowly building up their skill set and using the striking to transition into grappling, transition into wrestling, set it up, or better yet, using your striking to be defensively sound so you can find angles or you can duck under shots and hit reactive takedowns, they insist on showing us how nice they are with their hands. And they're never as nice with their hands as they think they are. When she fought uh, Vivian Arrejo, I can't say Arrejo, I'm messing up. My apologies. She wasn't able to consistently get takedowns because she was she was getting into striking exchanges with her. And she's facing a girl who's a little bit better of an athlete and a little bit more comfortable on the feet. Then when she started going for a takedown, they were getting stuff left and right. She could never really get the takedown she wanted. She could never impose her will. And the worst part is, is Vivian is very known for gassing. 
So if I'm an opponent who's got a grappling base, I'm trying to force takedowns. I'm trying to push the pace with takedowns and takedown attempts to wear her out because getting in those lockup positions takes the spring out of her steps, takes the explosiveness out of her arms, out of her legs. You can't move as quick when you get in grappling exchanges. You can't pit as hard when you're coming off the fence after being tied up in clinches or you're having to wrench me off your leg because I'm deep on a takedown and you got to pull me off and spin the way out. You can't do those things. But she was never were able to impose a pace because the first thing that she did was commit to striking, commit oh, overly commit to it. She got stymied, she got worked over, she got gun shy. So then she's reaching for takedowns. She's not setting them up. She's telegraphing them, and she's she's not able to get any work. She wasn't able to force a pace. If she would have been able to force any sort of pace, I believe she could have won this fight. And if she would have had the common sense that if I'm going to swing, it's hard to hit somebody to the head, even if I'm a good striker. You know where it's not hard to hit somebody. Kick him to the legs, punch him to the body. You have a, an opponent who who's quicker, more athletic, more explosive. You wear them down. You wear them down. You fake takedowns. You don't get takedown. Push him up against the fence. Now when they bring you up with underhooks, the body's right there. Attack the body. Force a pace on him. Force him out of their comfort zone. She let her fight the pace she wanted the entirety of the fight, and she got outclassed on the feet completely. She landed some good shots. She showed some improvement. But it's like someone who thought they were a really good striker, and they really aren't. It's like if I, you know, oh, I'm working on my grappling, I'm going to fight Raphael, so I'm going to take him down. You're going to be laughing, like, yeah, you took me down. I'm going to submit you now, whatever I want, however I want. And that's what she did. She, 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 she fought the wrong game plan. And I don't know if her corner had never seen Vivian fight. I don't know if Montella De La Rosa looks great on the pad in the camp. But it, it was a big mistake. It was just some of the most misplaced fight prep I've ever seen in my life, and I have no idea why they stuck with that after the first round. Like, like no, we're not doing this anymore. Step the takedowns up with the strikes, push the pace on her, wear her down. Then when she wears down, third round's ours, work her over. All she did was strike with her, take a few takedown attempts, and basically just get outworked for the, for the, the, the length of the fight. And, and I don't know what she was thinking. It wasn't even competitive. It looked like she didn't even belong in the cage with her. I did not watch that fight, so you're giving me some new insight into that. Uh, uh, you, that you, you, did yeah. not, you, you did not miss anything. I mean, literally at one point, she almost ran across the cage for a takedown, like just bull rusher, like somebody who's never been fought before. In the third round, she tries this. After being dismantled on the feet for two rounds straight. Now you want to try to stay down? Now you want to push him? No. No. It's Somebody got paid to prepare her for this fight, and either she didn't listen or someone stole money from her. And That's all I'm going to say on that. True, sir. Let's look at some fights for this weekend. So the first one I want to talk about is the Watterson versus Angela Hill. Michelle Watterson and Anderson Hill main event for UFC Fight Night 177. And listening to Morning Combat this morning, there was an interesting, uh, there was an interesting, I guess, description about this fight, where you have two women who are headed in different directions, which I really agree with. You have Angela Hill, who's kind of surging, even though she lost that fight on the scorecards to Claudia Gadelia. Most people walked out of that event thinking she won. And you have Michelle Watterson, who is kind of going on a downward slide. She's lost two in a row. She hasn't looked. She's looked like she's making strategic mistakes, especially in the last one that she lost to was it Carla Esparza, I believe. 
where she was winning that fight and Esparza made some adjustments and she didn't. Yeah. So let's talk about this fight here. Are we looking at a moment where we may be seeing a surging hill finally break through? In a, in a way, this is her first main event. Her She's the first Black woman ever main event, a card. Or do we see Watterson bounce back here? So the problem with Watterson is this. Even at her best, and I, I know you like her. I don't dislike her. But I, when, I, when she's going on these win streaks, people are like, oh, Watterson's next. Watterson's so great. I'm like, okay, well, who, who's Watterson beat? She beat Angela Mangana, Paige Van Zandt. I have respect for Paige. Paige can be a very difficult fight. Paige is known to fight some of the dumbest fights in UFC history. So those, and beating Angela Magana, when did that ever matter? So then she fights Rose Namajunas, gets Torch, fights Tisha Torres, loses that. Then she beats Courtney Casey. The only person with worse cage IQ than Paige Van Zandt is Courtney Casey. Justin Kish, by the way, is just as bad. Then she fights Felice Herrig. I thought Herrig should beat her. Herrig fights like a complete, complete idiot. Has a weight size advantage. She wants to get into a kickboxing match with her. I suppose... That makes perfect sense. She fought Carolina Kovacavich, another person who has a size, physicality, durability advantage, who also decides they're going to get into a kickboxing match with her and let, let Watterson take the initiative. She fought a bunch of people who were known for limited skills and poor IQ. As soon as she leveled back up to fighting higher-level people with a good sense of cage awareness and, and skills, she started losing again. So... Watterson, to me, her entire time has been marred by, by one thing. One, she's too small for the weight class. That's why she struggles with even average fighters. Angela Magana had moments with her. Angela Magana shouldn't have moments with anybody. But when you have a size and physicality advantage, you're always going to be able to make it tougher for a fighter who's not as durable. Secondly, she's basically put a three-fight win streak together over girls who are, at best, average fighters. Ever girls who, since they fought her, haven't performed particularly well. When's the last time you seen Carolina Kovacavich put up a good fight? Felice Herrick, she, she was she hasn't put the world on fire. She came back from injury. Doesn't matter. She still got torched. Courtney Casey has Courtney Casey won a fight since she lost against since she beat uh, since she lost to Michelle Waterston. I think she won one and lost two. My my point being is she hasn't beaten very good people. She's lost to all the really good people she's lost. But Angela Hill, on the other hand. Is in a similar situation, but the difference between Hill and Watterson is Hill actually has a size advantage, and Hill's a much, much better athlete. She has much more room for error. She can take a certain amount of punishment and fire back, and she also has enough firepower where she can harm a certain caliber of opponent. If Claudia Gadelia landed those shots against Michelle Watterson, she would have knocked her out. If Jessica Andrade would have hit Watterson with what she hit Angela Hill with, she would have knocked her out. The simple fact of the matter is Angela Hill's a bigger, stronger, more durable, and more powerful, and more athletic fighter. On paper, this fight should be fairly easy for her. I don't know that Watterson has anything she can hurt her with. I don't think Watterson can bully her. I'm not sure that Watterson can handle any of her power. The question now becomes is will Angela Hill put it all together? Or will she have defensive lapses and defensive lulls like she usually does that allows there to be a point of contention in any of her fights? When she fought... Claudia Gadelia, she let Claudia off the hook. She let Claudia off the hook. She point blank, she did. She let her off the hook. It was the fight was in her hands. She was defensively irresponsible and trying to get her own offense off. And she allowed Carla to land big, solid counters on her. Carla was dead, dead tired, and instead of pushing the pace, she's letting Carla 
scare off a one or two shot. You have to risk the knockout in that position because you don't know how the judges are going to take it. So the question is, is she going to fight a clean, consistent, smart fight from beginning to end? Even if she fights a terrible fight, she should still win. But one thing Michelle Watterson is, is she's very resilient and she's very opportunistic. If you're going to give her your neck or your arm or give up a takedown easily, she will take them. And she will continue to take them until you stop her from taking them. So if Angela Hill goes in a low where she doesn't want to punch anymore, Watterson will punch. If she's going to let her get takedowns because she doesn't think Watterson is hurting her on the ground or isn't finishing her, Watterson will take them, take her down every single round and win a decision. If she's going to overextend on strikes and load up on them, Watterson will point kick her, point punch her, do a decision loss. She has to fight clean. She has to fight smart. She has to impose her will. She has to break Watterson down, and she has to control the fight. Don't worry about KOing her. Work on winning a clean, dominant fight. That's what Angela Hill needs to be doing. I don't know if she's going to do it because nine times out of ten, she's been the bigger, stronger, better athlete, and we all know she hasn't won nine out of her ten fights. So what I'm most interested in is seeing what game plan that Michelle Watson comes out with because if she wants to stay on the feet and point strike, I think Angela Hill can deal with that no problem. She'll be able to do just that, and she'll land, and like you said, she'll be landing the bigger harder strikes. I think the the thing is, is if she comes out trying to grapple with Angela Hill, when she fought Carla Esparza, her grappling was, I'm going to try not to get taken down, which doesn't really count for too much. It doesn't give you enough to um, secure any type of victory. But when she is aggressive and she wants to try to take someone down, you've seen her be able to do that. We know that uh, Angela struggles when it comes to a grappling standpoint. She's gotten better with her takedown defense, but we know that that's the point where she struggles. So if she can implement a game where she's able to defend the takedowns and still be able to score on, on the feet, I think she's going to be in a position to do a lot of good work and get a, get a big victory on Saturday. Yeah, I really, like I said, Angela, in most of Angela's fights, she's been, if you look on paper, you see the fight, you look, look who she's fighting, you're like, Hill should win this. She's, she, she's a solid striker. She's very athletic. She hits hard. She's durable. She can fight at a high pace. You, you, you see some of these losses, and they're like unanimous decisions. Split decision. You're like, how, how is she losing to the people? How is she losing? How is she losing? How, how is she losing to some of these people? And it's just, it's just gaps in how she approaches it. A lot of it is she tries to take more of a dominant cruise approach to striking. That only works because Dominic Cruz has to take down to back it up. Dominic Cruz isn't great defensively. He's great defensively in the instance that he sets up his takedown, and that keeps guys from firing off because they don't want to risk getting taken down. And that risk of the takedown opens up counter strikes for him. Angela Hill has no risk for takedown. So when she gets out of a position of one strike, you can, you can follow up with a three or four and hit her. So if you get into a pot shot striking match with Hill, you, can, you, you like that. It slows the match down. We're throwing maybe 10 shots around. If you move right and you can faint, you can get to Hill. You'll land four to, you'll land four to her three. You'll land five to her three, six to her three. You can, you can outland her. The question is, that, would you be able to handle the power she fires back with? But if you're landing three to every one she lands, unless she's really stunning you, that, that's going to cost her round. Um, secondly, with Hill is, like you said, she'd have, she's kind of one-sided. She's not really much of a grappler. So that's also not a threat. When you're a bigger, stronger person, you get... You put them up against the fence, you wear them down, you clinch them up, you take them down. She doesn't really set that up very well with her strikes or, or off, on defensively off the counter by slipping strikes, parrying, and, and using that as an entry. She doesn't do that either. 
So when you're fighting Angela Hill, you really only have to worry about one or two things, really. And even if she tries to work in striking, wrestling, and grappling, you have to you have to imagine, even if she's been working on it, how good could it possibly be at this stage? At this stage, I'd say Michelle Waterson is a better defensive and offensive grappler. So with Waterson, you have to worry about the striking. You have to worry about the transition to wrestling. You have to worry about the grappling. Now, she doesn't have the physical strength to back that up with real horsepower, so everything has to be perfectly perfect technique-wise, but she is very cagey, she is very smart, and she will at least try different things, try to offset offset the athletic advantages. It's Hill's job not to get frustrated. It's Hill's job to not get complacent. It's Hill's job not to try to win the fight with one big shot and open herself up to being taken down and finished. Because if she gives Watterson an opportunity, Watterson will grab on and Watterson will finish. And if Watterson beats Hill, Hill is tumbling all the way back down the other way. Yeah, I think it's a big, it's a must-win fight for both women, but for different reasons. The other she fight, lost to Courtney Casey and Random Marco. Yeah, like they both have some very, they both have some questionable uh, records. I think what makes Hill such an enticing name at this point in time is that she's taken so many damn fights on short notice, and she and she she's pulling out wins and looking better each time. I think that that's what's happening for her. Yeah. The other fight I wanted to talk about was Roxanne Modafari versus Andrea Lee. This stood out to me because, again, Modafari is just getting wins and hanging out and doing things that no one is expecting her to do. She is, let me see what kind of a win streak she's on right she lost now. Her this last is, one. Is this a co-main event? No, it's, it's the third down. Um, she's, she's, she's basically win one, lost one, win one, lost one. Ah, she is. She is. You're right. I forgot. Uh, she is winning and losing fights. What do you what do you think thoughts about this fight here against Andrea Lee? Andrea Lee hasn't fought in a good while. Um, let me see when, when her last bout was. I may be wrong about that. She fought back in February. They both recently lost to Lauren Murphy, but before then she didn't fight back in, until September. What are your thoughts about this fight? It seems like a pretty clear path for uh, Roxy Matafari. It's kind of like what she did versus um, who was that girl? Macy Barber. Where she's imposing her will, she's she's aggressive with her striking. She's getting her hands on her, and she's working over. That's probably that's probably the clearest avenue for um, for Miss Modafferi. The problem is, is, I don't know that Roxy is a stronger fighter than Lee. I don't know that she's more physical because Lee Lee tend to struggle against girls who have a certain amount of physicality and a grinding nature to how they fight. And the win she had, Ashley Evan Smith. She's physical, but she's so she's not really much of a grappler. She can't. She doesn't grind on you. She doesn't wear on you. She doesn't drag you down and extend you. Um, Veronica Macedo is also not much of a grinder. Montella De La Rosa has the ability to grind, but is stu- stunningly unaware in the cage. But Joanne Calderwood, physical, punishing fighter who can fight at a pace, usually a slow pace, but a grinding, fairly punishing pace where she can grind on you, back you up, push you around, use her power and her size to now to to. to control you whether it's on the ground or on the feet and lauren murphy who is also a physical person who, who can work at a high rate and impose her will with physicality i have no doubt that modafferi can work at a certain pace but i don't know that modafferi has any real durability anymore uh lauren lauren hurt her pretty often in her in their fight and she just out hustled her and i really believe that andrea lee can do something similar she won't have as much freedom because modafferi is such a better grappler than her but the fact of the matter is, is Modafferi consistently has a problem with busy athletic fighters with some, some sense of physicality. 
and Angela Lee has that. She doesn't have great power, but she has. She works at a high rate. She's fairly physically strong, and she's a much better athlete than Mata Ferry. So it really comes down to how much punishment can Mata Ferry take if she takes punishment, and how well she can recover if she's in a position where she gets hurt. Because Mata Ferry, outside of submission, she's not really much of a come-from-behind come fighter. Usually, if you can get a lead on her or hurt her early or win, win a first round early decisively, she can work her way back into the fight, but she can't work her way back into a win. Having with Sajara Eubank, it happened with Lauren Murphy, it happened with Nico Montano. She came out hot, but once Nico made the adjustment and started taking over the fight, she didn't have anything for her. And as much as Montefiore has grown, she's improved her transition, she's made her striking functional to the point she's a threat with it. More importantly, she's learned when to strike and when not to strike, when to transition from striking to grappling. As much as she's improved, the fact of the matter is she's at the stage she improved, the late stage in her game where she improved, she kind of, she seems to have plateaued. Roxy Modafari I saw on Tough, it's pretty much the Roxy Modafari I've seen in the past two or three, two or three fights. And she's had the same issue. Facing better athleticism, she can't get out of the way, she can't avoid shots. When she gets hit, she gets hurt, and she can't recover because she doesn't have the athleticism or the physical strength just to force a fight where she wants it to be unless somebody makes a huge, huge, huge mistake. The avenue for victory, impose her will, take Lee down, get her up against the cage, chop her up, take her down, work her over. I don't know how well she's going to be able to execute that. And every year that goes by where she's fighting, every fight she has, is just that much less athleticism, that much less recuperative ability that she has. At her age, you go from, from being contender to being old overnight. And since she's been in this, in this division, she's, she's been a 500 fighter. You go by the record, she should win this next one. But even in the wins she's had, those fights could have easily gone another way if one or two things goes different. Man. <laughs> so before we head on to the Bellator card, is there anything else from this particular UFC card that stands out to you? This card wasn't, it's not good to me, but yeah. is there anything that you see that, that you want to talk about? It's not really great. A lot of these, a lot of these fights are very, uh, to my, like I said, they're showcasing case fights, their fights to kind of keep guys busy, keep guys paid, help them build interest. You know, Bobby Green's fighting Alan Patrick. Alan Patrick's not a bad fighter. Bobby Green at one point was considered one of the better 155 guys. This is a fight to either propel Patrick or more than likely put Green, give Green multiple wins so you can start moving him up facing better competition in the 155 division because he's a guy with a name. He's a guy with an exciting style. He's the kind of guy you want in front of as many eyes as possible. Um, the fight I think is pretty interesting is Julia Avia versus Sajara Eubanks. Um, I know that fight. I know they've had a bunch of issues getting Sajara Eubanks with a good opponent. Um, Avia was a big sounding by the UFC. Very popular, athletic. I think she has some star quality. Has a lot of athleticism. Very well conditioned. Fights at a high pace. Seems to be a very physically punishing fighter. Physically able to impose her will on opponents. Whether it's on grappling exchanges. Or striking exchanges. Not she's kind of like a uh, who's that girl who won tough who lost to Valerie and Shevchenko. Juliana, Juliana, Juliana. She's kind Juliana of like Pettia. her. She's, yeah, she's big. She's strong. She's aggressive. She's she's still, in my opinion, she's still a little raw. But her athleticism, her aggression, and her physicality are enough for her to overwhelm a large amount of girls she's facing. Um, Sajar Eubanks has fallen very fast. In the UFC, at one point she was supposed to be a title contender, and after that she just 
wasn't able to make weight, and then she moved back up to bantamweight. And since then, she struggled. Um, Eubanks isn't a bad fighter. She's probably one of the better body punchers in mixed martial arts. But the problem is she can't fight at pace. She can't. She cannot fight at pace. And at bantamweight, at, at the previous weight class, her power was fight changing, fight altering. She touches you, she turns the whole whole fight around. You take her down, she can just muscle her way back out. She can muscle her way into takedown. But at bantamweight, her power doesn't carry the same pop. She can't scare people off. She can't control people with her power. She can't control people with her physicality, not in the same manner. So she often wears herself out fighting in the manner that she does. Her fight style is based on her having physical advantages. She won't have those physical advantages against Julia Avia. I expect her to have moments, especially with her body punching, but Avia sets a pretty high pace and is pretty physical. Eubanks tends to fade against people who can maintain a pace in her physical, as she did against Aspen Ladd, as she did against Betch Kohea. Uh, Julia uh, Avia is a better fighter than both of them, in my opinion, right, right now. Has better better all round skills and um, better feel for the game. So that's a good fight. It's a p- potential person who could be a superstar in the division, and uh, against somebody who had the chance to be a champion and a superstar at the uh, flyweight position, and and basically couldn't couldn't do it because she couldn't make weight. No offense to her, she just couldn't make weight, and, and she basically cost herself a world championship. That was a very winnable fight for her that she missed out on. So what's interesting to me is that, like I said, there's a lot of action this weekend. I am much more interested in the uh, Bellator cards this weekend, where we have, I think, more to talk about there. We have the Paul Dave, Phil Davis versus uh, Lionel Machida. This is a rematch. And also, Casingano and this Carmouche making a uh, their Bellator debut. So let's talk about Phil Davis and Leo Machida first. Does this fight really interest interest you at all, um, Schwan? I don't think it has the same. And you're moving around too much, uh, Schwan. I'm getting a lot of noise. Yeah, Schwan, can you hear me? Yeah, got it. I'm getting a lot of noise there. Um, talk, let's talk about this Davis versus. Machida matchup. Does this fight interest you as it once would have, and what does it really mean for Bellator as a whole? Well, it can't have the, the interest it had before because at the time it happened, they were considered, you know, top 10 guys. I guess in the sense of Bellator, they are top 10 guys because Bellator is so, so shallow. Whoever wins this could be in line for a title fight in their next fight or so. Bellator is just so hodgepodge because they have such a deficit of talent. So from that regard, this fight is very important because whoever wins it is probably a fight or two away from a title fight. Um, it doesn't carry as much weight because neither guy is the fighter they were, what, four, five, six years ago? Lieto was still considered a top 10 lightweight in the world, not for an organization, but in the world. And Phil Davis was still considered a guy who, who had enough potential that he could possibly be a world champion. They thought at some point he challenged Jones for the title and he never was able to get over the hump. So from that regard, it... it it's lost some of its spark for the regard of setting the table for a potential challenger in Bellator. Yes. It's very important. Yes. It's very interesting. Um, both guys have shown enough flaws that most likely this whoever wins this fight will win by finish. So it's kind of guaranteed to have a, uh, exciting finish, but it's also a little bit disheartening because you know who these guys were previously before they got to the stage they're at right now. And Phil Davis was able to, put off the decline a little bit by coming to Bellator. He was on a winning streak. He was kind of dominating and doing what he could do. But it, it seems that he's once again hit his, his 
his plateau. He's another guy who who hasn't really ever developed past a certain point. And now it's starting to catch up to him since he's no longer the dominant athlete that he used to be. All the holes he had, the lack of the the lack of defensive awareness, the lack of offensive depth, uh, the unwillingness to really bite down and take punishment has essentially caught up to him now that he's not a A plus athlete. So um, once again, it, it's important for the organization. I don't know how important it is to the mixed martial arts world in general because whoever wins isn't considered one of the best light heavyweights in the world, much less one of the best mixed martial artists. See, the thing about Bellator is that, man, it's, it's, it's like it's hard to really care about what is going on at the top of their ratings. And this is a fight that's going on like at, the, at the top of their roster. It doesn't really mean much to me because we, we know both of these guys are former UFC um, competitors. And we know what their value was there. And it's a different scale over in Bellator. Uh, Bellator has a space where they can make more of those, I'd say freakish fights, but those big draw fights, we're going to talk about one later on. And I'm actually writing about you, one too. You, you said it perfectly. You actually said that perfectly. It's, it's more for the fighters and fans. If you're a fan of fighters who want them to get paid and be taken care of, you want them to go to Bellator because it's going to give them comparable opposition that they can win against, get it on a win streak, make more money, and have a second chance at glory. But if you're looking for the competition of the best of the best, Bellator, like we've always said, has nothing for you past five fighters in any division they have. So it's great for, on one instance, because fighters are getting paid, fighters are getting taken care of. It's terrible on the other instance because it's not high-quality mixed martial arts. So does this fight draw you in? Do you want to watch this? I think this is a Bellator card on Saturday. Do you want to watch this card because of... No, this is the one on Friday. Do you want to watch this card because of this fight? I'm kind of interested just because of the, the style matchup. Even though it wasn't a really exciting fight the first time, just the the instance of the matchup, the karate with the grappling. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see if, if Leota's got anything else that he's developed to kind of stymie that. Because the issue was before, he couldn't... Davis was outworking him, getting him to spots and taking him down and... The Yoda couldn't defend the takedowns. He couldn't threaten from the bottom. He couldn't get back up. I would think that Leoto, knowing that he's not the athlete he used to be, would have developed a better set of all-round skills. But after, you know, I was watching that fight against him against Chael Sonnen, and it really didn't seem like he's really developed any really better sense of grappling or wrestling if he's forced to grapple or wrestle. That's why I was saying this is probably going to end in a stoppage because he's not as durable as he used to be, and he was never really durable. And he doesn't seem to have a structured fleshed out, developed, fully developed grappling or wrestling game that can keep the fight where he wants it to be. And even where, where it wants it to be, since he's lost half a step, he, he's not nearly as elusive, nor is, 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 he, is he able to handle punishment the way he used to. So it's interesting to see if he's made any adjustment or if he's really going to rely on the same style that he fought as the old Leoto. Because that was perfect timing, perfect movement, perfect distance man- management. When you get it to an older age that doesn't happen as well you have to have a you have to have a add another layer of defense to give you that extra second second and a half for you to react he seems to not have developed that so it's i'm just interested from a stylistic point of view and just him as a fighter is he just at Bellator to get paid or is he really perfecting his craft so, so that he can show us a little bit more and extend his career ryan bader showed us a little more extended his career rampage jackson came to get paid and he would treat it as such if you understand the difference in the comparison. 
Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that comparison there for sure. Two other. It's funny that you brought up Rampage. We're talking about two other fighters that competed in the UFC with Liz Carmouche and Kat Zingano. Both of them are making their Bellator debuts. What is their value in Bellator right now? You kind of, I kind of forget how solid Kat Zingano's record really is. Um, you think people think of her as yeah, she took that quick loss to Ronda Rousey and she struggled since then. But she's had a very sound record across her career. What you know, do both of these women have to offer Bellator at this point in their careers? There is one thing. There is one thing I have to say about Zingano, and this is going to come off really terrible, but I have to say it. Zingano, you know, she she fought um, Megan Anderson, right? And Megan Anderson like threw a kick, and it kind of kicked her in the eye, right? Mm-hmm. Zingano is the only person who has fought Megan Anderson in the UFC who did not try to take her down and grapple her. And Kat Zingano is pretty much the best wrestler and grappler that Megan Anderson has faced in the UFC. Has she just taken her down like, like, Jane, like Spencer did and like Holm did? She would have beaten her and then gotten her, her rematch with Amanda Nunes. It, she was that close. For some reason, she chose to engage in a striking battle, which is the only way Anderson could win. And because she engaged in that striking battle, she got kicked in the eye. She couldn't continue and she lost the fight. It was set up for her to win to get a title fight. And I don't know how she sleeps at night knowing that she dropped the ball that badly. I mean, this girl got out grappled by Holly Holm, and your first thing is to kickbox with her? And that's always been the rub with Katsangano. She has a solid career. She's got great physical talent. She's got great heart. She's got explosiveness. She's got power. She's got durability. She's fairly well-conditioned for the most part. Now she kind of fights in spot. But it's been these, these huge, tremendously bad gaffes, mental gaffes that have cost her routinely in fights. It, it, it just cost her and it's cost her time and time again. And in Bellator, she brings a name. She has she has an exciting style. She's still a better athlete. She's attractive. Has to throw that in there because it matters. So it helps Bellator's bottom line. It fleshes out their division. It gives them another viable fighter. It gives them somebody who's got a history of success, which they can use to legitimize their, their division. But at the same instance, it's kind of like the Leoto thing. We've already seen her at her best and against the best even when she's had clear advantages she's made the wrong decision and she's been beaten when she should should have been just because she had no sense of awareness in what she's doing so it helps it because once again you fill out the division you can get more fights maybe you can have her fight julia bud maybe she puts in the fights together you can finally get that cyborg fight there's enough matchups where you, you winnable fights where she can win and put herself in position for a title fight but it's like you kind of seeing what she is at the elite level so you can't lie to yourself and say she's one of the best in the world. She's she, you know, Bellator signed the best talent. They're signing the best talent left. And and to be honest, in featherweight, UFC doesn't even have featherweight division. So for in that regards, I guess you could say they're signing the best talent. But you know what she is. You you know what her ceiling is. This is more about her getting paid and her getting an opportunity to be a star more so than her being considered one of the best in the world. Unless unless she's taken upon herself to address the hole she has and really improve. But she hasn't done that in force in, in the previous years. I don't, I don't know why she do it all of a sudden against lesser competition. I mean, you really broke it down there. And I, I'm a big fan of Kat. I'm a big fan of her ability to grapple because, uh, you know, that, that's my that's my background. I've, I've always loved that about her, but she doesn't implement that enough. I remember her fight with Juliana Pena. Uh, that was a 
excellent fight where both of those women came in there with the idea like, look, we're going to wrestle the shit out of each other and whoever is a better wrestler is going to win. She doesn't fight that way anymore. And I wonder, I wonder if that Ronda Rousey fight really damaged her in that way so much. Because if you look back, that was a fight where she just threw it all away and she hasn't really been a grappling first type of fighter since then. And I really wonder, I don't know if anyone's ever asked her that question, but she's really gotten away from that style since that fight. Talk about that, Sean. I thought she I thought she was having a health issue that kind of impacted it. As you know, she used to be more of a machine and really press people when she fought uh, Amanda Nunes. Nunes was beating her from pillar to post. She just took the abuse and kept fighting the whole way through, so Nunes gassed herself. When she fought Misha Tate, even though that was a nonsense stoppage, the fact of the matter is she kept pushing a pace on on Tate, and she's always been a grinding pace pusher. Recently, she just fights in spots. When she fought uh, Pena, it was fighting in spots. When she fought, I forgot, I forgot the other girl she, she fought, but there's a couple fights where she has these big moments or she'll lose the first couple rounds and then come out third round humming. Come out the first round humming, lose the rest of the rounds. It's like there's a, there's a disconnect, and I'm not sure if the wrestling, with her previous injuries and illnesses, if the wrestling is something she's incapable of, or if she's really just that, that, that stubborn in what she's doing and feeling that she can dominate a fight through striking. But she's a better wrestler and a better athlete than most of these girls she's facing. You would think she would at least test the waters just to see what would happen if she takes someone down and, and, and force, forces them to fight off their back and forces them to be on the defensive while she's chopping them up. But it's like she's very, very unwilling. Maybe she's actually unable to do it. But if that's the case, then even against these second and third tier fighters, she's going to have problems because she's not really a featherweight. She's a bantamweight. And facing bigger, stronger opponents, even if they're not better athletes, we saw what happened to Marlis Kunin when she went over there and she got beat and she wasn't expecting to. The same thing can happen to Kat Zingano. Kat Zingano is not the physical force she used to be. She can't take punishment the way she used to. She can't physically dominate the way she used to. And if she's, una- if she's unable or unwilling to use her wrestling, that- that's a problem for-, for her putting wins together. I'm not saying she won't win because she's facing people. She's should be athletically better and, and technically better and face better opposition. But when you are kind of limited to one approach or you're choosing to take one approach and you're not great at that approach, your chances of losing are always 50-50. I'm not going to disagree with you at all, sir. We have another big fight. We have Juan Archuleta and I think Austin Mix. What is the guy's first name? What is Mix's first name? Do you know I, off the top of your head? I don't. I don't know. I don't know his first name. <laughs> uh, let me see. I forgot I what his first Patchy. name is. Yeah, that's what. That's what everybody calls him. I can't think of this. Hold on. So we have Juan Archuleta. This is the fight on Saturday. He's fighting Patrick Mix. That, that's right. Patrick is his first name. Doug. Clearly, this is a big fight to me, uh, and I think this is a big fight because these these two guys are two individuals who can be bigger names for Bellator as, as a whole. Both of them are very solid in their weight classes. And I, and I think that that's what Bellator really needs right now, especially with Michael Chandler being 90% out of, out of the door. Talk about this fight here. And how do you expect this, to see this it fight, going down, Sean? This fight is important for one reason, one reason only. It is two guys who are not over 30 and haven't had 30-something fights in wars engaging in an important fight. Bellator needs more people, young guys who've been developed. They, they, should, they should start getting younger guys from the UFC who maybe aren't going to be on title runs, maybe won a couple of fights. Bring them in. Let them beat up on these cans. Let them slowly develop, develop a fan base, 
get their feet underneath them and have guys who are in their mid-20s, for once, contending for titles or being in the title picture instead of these guys who are coming in off the tail end of their elite level just hoping they can ride whatever, whatever advantages they have over what they perceive to be a, a lower level of talent. That's the mistake they're making. Get younger guys who still have four, five, six, seven, eight years ahead of them. In this case, you have two young guys. So you have guys who aren't shopworn, guys who aren't capable of just being finished, guys who put on some win streaks, and guys who are still young enough to make massive changes and improvements to their skill set. That's that's the important part about this. And that's what makes this fight exciting. Um, Archuleta has been around Bellator for, for a little while. So he's fairly familiar with the fans, and he's shown that while he he hasn't he hasn't won the biggest name fights in the UFC, I mean, excuse me, Bellator, but he's won enough fights and he's put up a good enough performance against the better opposition that people have to consider him, you know, if not maybe one of the best guys in the weight class, at least a guy who's considered one of the better guys in the world. You know, Corrales, um, Dante, Dantes, Bandejas, all good fights. Robbie Peralta, that's a, that's a good win. It's not a great win, but it's a good win. It's a win that shows that you have a certain level of athletic talent, a certain level of skill. And usually in each one of his wins, he's shown progression as far as his ability to impose his will, his ability to fight a pace, his ability to build on the pace he's fighting, and showing more balance and more fluidity between his striking, grappling, and wrestling. He's still a little bit over-aggressive in my instance. I think an aggressive counterpuncher can get to him because he's so determined to impose his will and physicality. I think he gives you opportunities, as he did with Patricio Pitbull when he couldn't physically overwhelm him and wear him down. He just got chopped up. A lot of his success is based on his ability to push the pace. And when guys start getting tired, they start getting sloppy, they start start getting a little bit reacting at half-second too slow, and that's where he takes over and pours it on them. But he's a guy who's shown that he's at least been able to compete Pete with the best in the world, and anybody who's not elite, he's been able to walk it. He's been able to essentially dominate them, more or less. Um, against Mix, I don't think he's going to be able to have his way. I think he's facing a guy who's capable of matching his pace, and I think, more importantly, he's facing a guy who should have the ability to actually slow the pace down a little bit. I think Mix is a little bit more balanced and a little bit more a little bit more confident than a little bit more confident than you would expect than you would expect for a guy who who hasn't who doesn't have as big a name or hasn't been in Bellator quite as long. Um, I think his width of skills and his ability, his willingness to attack in all ranges, is going to be an uphill battle for Archuleta. Uh, I'm really really for Archuleta to win this fight. He's basically got to impose his will. He's got to take it to the body, and he's got to hope that his physicality and his his pace is enough to find holes in Mix's defense and to overstend Mix to the point where he can't be a threat on offense. I don't necessarily know that that's what happens. I think Mix can ride out whatever aggression he has. I think he can slow the fight down, and I think he can pick his spots and and potentially finish Archuleta. As good as Archuleta's been, I still think he's a little bit too shallow in what he does, and I think he's a little bit too straightforward. And when he can't overwhelm a guy, he he tends to run out of ideas. I don't think he's going to be able to overwhelm Mix. So what is what is what is uh, Ron, Juan Archuleta's ceiling? He's a name that you continue to hear about when Bellator is talking about them. 
or when Bellator is talking about him, he has that loss to Patricio Freire. Every and Freire beats everyone. He has two losses across his career. The other one was in World Series of Fighting. What do you think this guy's ceiling really is? And does Bellator have a real um, diamond in the rough with him? I think you've seen his ceiling. I, I really do. I, I think when you get to a certain point as a fighter, you, you start you stop making big changes and big developments. And basically what you get to is where you're just refining it. It's actually the same in, in any sport, uh, basketball, football, baseball, fighting. You don't, when later in the game, you don't see a guy go from a five to an eight, a, a five to a seven, a four to a six, a, a three to a nine. It doesn't happen. You, usually guys get to a point where they start refining their skills. They get a little bit more awareness. They get a little bit more poise. They get conditioned a little bit better. They they fight a little bit smarter right off the bat to maximize whatever skills they have, but they don't really, 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 really improve. I feel Archuleta's pretty much hit his ceiling as far as what he's going to be. The question is, does Bellator have enough guys who can navigate him the first time they fight him? I feel like he's the kind of fighter that if you fight him two, three, or four times, the second time you'll be much tougher for him because the biggest advantage he has as he's willing to put himself on the line to get a finish. He's willing to put himself in the, in the dangerous way to get a win. A lot of people aren't doing that. They're trying to get land a shot without taking one. I'm trying to take it, get a smart takedown where they won't be in, in the threat of submission. He's willing to take chances, and he's willing to take those chances over and over again. And most guys mentally break. They fatigue, and they can't take advantage of him. Early, you might have him in a spot. He's going to keep pushing that. So if you don't finish him early, now late in the fight, you don't have it. You see the opening, but mentally you're not locked in, and physically you, you've been worn down, so you can't finish it. I think we've really seen as good as he's going to be. If you put him in the UFC, he'd beat some guys because he's physical, he's tough, he's got a pretty decent skill set, but the, the, the main factors of his wins are his physicality and his pace. He sets up a pace, and he's very physical, he grinds guys out, he wears guys down and mentally... I don't want to say breaks them, but wears them down to the point that mistakes come and, th- and their reactions come a half second slow. I don't think he's a great technician. I don't think he's great defensively. I don't think he's great offensively. I don't think he's great strategically. He plays to his strengths, and his, his strengths allow him to navigate or expose historical holes in mis- most MMA fighters. They don't like being pressured. They don't like fighting out the back foot, and they don't like being – easy, it's easy to force them out of their pace because they can't fight out the back foot, and they don't like being – they're not def- – Defensively sound. If you can fight off the back foot, I can, you can't force me on pace. I'll pivot and punish you. If I'm a good counterfighter, you can't force me out of my pace because when you're throwing, you're missing, 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 and I'm popping you with clean shot. And eventually, you get scared off. Most guys don't have that poise. Most guys don't have that skill set. I think we've seen who and what he's going to become. The question, once again, is can he continue winning? Or once he gets to this fight, and if he loses, what else is there for him? Because we've seen it's not enough against the elite guys. Guys who have poise, guys who have skill sets, guys who have athleticism, that's not enough. There's just not enough of those guys in Bellator. There's not enough of those guys in Bellator to punish him for that. I'm not going to disagree with this. There, so that, that, that's some really good um, insightful breakdown. I'm really interested in seeing how this fight plays out. What else do you, are you looking forward to seeing on these two Bellator cards? Um, I'm always interested to see Smith. Um, because she was the one fighter who was willing to put her career on the line to stand up for fighters' rights. Everybody keeps talking like, 
like we said before, they talk about fighters' rights until it comes time to make a stand. Then they start hemming and hawing, waiting for their payday, trying to make sure that they're being taken care of. And while I, I, I can't fault them for that, the fact of the matter is that shows they're not as committed to the process as they say they are. And she was always very committed to it. And she found another organization that she felt would treat her better. And she's continued to, to make a stand on behalf of fighters. So in that regards to her life, in that regards, I find it to be very refreshing. And I, I support her for that. Once again, she's a fighter we've already seen. I think we've seen the best of it. Her success is going to come from fighting lesser opposition and getting paid what she feels she's worth by an organization. So as a fight fan, I'm a fan of hers. But as a, a, fighter, a fan of elite fighters and elite technique and elite competitions, I can't be a fan because she's not facing either one of those things in Bellator. Okay, good. Man, we got some boxing questions, sir. Not questions, but you know, I'm going to make sure we are winding, weaving more of this content into the show as well. But who should we be watching right now, and uh, what fights are you looking forward to seeing this coming weekend? Uh, this weekend? Oh man. Uh, as far as we should be watching, it's it's really hard to say with with all these fights getting canceled and things adjusting. It, it's really hard. To, to say what fights are going to be going and what fights are the ones you need to be excited about. Um, of course, I'm, I'm wait, like I said, I've waited for the Spence and um, Garcia fight. That that's going to be that's going to be a very important fight and it's going to be a very exciting fight. Um, Lopez and Lomachenko is also a fight that I'm excited to seeing. Um, Crawf- Terence Crawford is going to be fighting Kell Brook. The great thing about it is he's fighting a name guy the sad thing about it is this guy was a legitimate contender and world champion like three four five years ago and since then he's been fairly inactive it's frustrating because Crawford is one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world but the fact of the matter is Crawford has fights for top rank and it's very hard for them to get opposition that generates interest and poses enough of a threat to make it worth the money that he wants to get paid to fight. He's going to get paid because Kelpro is very popular, at least overseas he is, but it's, it shouldn't be a very good matchup. And if it is, it's probably because Terrence Crawford took him lightly, and that's very frustrating as a boxing fan because it's very rare we get the fights we want. In this fight, we have two guys in their prime, Errol Spence and Bud Craw- Terrence Bud Crawford, and we're probably not going to see them fight until they're another two or three years minimum or worse yet we're going to get them when they're past their prime and they finally fight because if they're giving us what we wanted seven years too late much like Mayweather um, gave us what he wanted with Pacquiao ten years too late which is unfortunately the issue we constantly have with boxing um, as far as people are fighting I, I can't say there's a lot of fights this weekend I was looking forward to I, I've really kind of marked these other two fights as the fights that I'm really committed to, that I'm really, really that I really think are going to get crossover attention and really get not just boxers but mixed martial arts fighters on board as far as watching them. The biggest problem right now is is these guys want to get paid a lot of money. They do not want to fight the best guys, and fans just aren't tuning in. Even if they're good fights, fan fans want recognizable names with recognizable records who've done recognizable things, and it's very hard to put those fights together. It's up there, sir. Um, 
I'm trying to get more I, in the box for myself and trying I, to find more. I guess there's so much on that it's difficult to watch, but I'm definitely trying to do a better job of that. I, I had I actually somebody on Twitter contacted me about a question. I, I wanted to answer it real quick. Um, it was Victor O. Uh, he, his question was regarding uh, John Jones. He, he was wondering if John Jones's style as far as a fighter, how does it translate to the heavyweight division? Um, from my point of view, the heavyweight division, it, talent-wise, is just so thin. And most of these guys, like I said before, they're bigger, they're stronger, but they're not, they're not young. They're not nearly as athletic as they used to be. Most of them weren't great defensive fighters before. Most of them weren't great offensive fighters either. And when you look at John Jones fighting a heavyweight, the, one that, the only thing we wonder is how does his strength translate? How does his durability translate? But even this John Jones we've seen, he hasn't been, he's been less than stellar. The fact of the matter is in his less than stellar fights, he still probably showed more skill and more IQ than, than the majority of heavyweights. And if you ask yourself, if this heavyweight guy can't knock him out, how would he beat John Jones? And I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I still draw a blank. Most of these guys aren't wrestlers. Um, most of them, their chin is not too far from being gone. And being that he's coming up from a weight class, he's probably a little bit more quicker and a little bit more athletic in that sense than a lot of these guys. So you got guys who are worse athletes, not as recruit, don't have his recruitment abilities, don't have his durability, and are pretty shallow in the skill set. So pretty much their only advantage is their size and weight. Well, what happens if that's not a determining factor in the fight? Then what happens? And that's that's been the problem I've had as far as my concerns for John Jones fighting a heavyweight, with the exception of maybe Stipe and uh, Stipe and and Ganu. There's not very many guys who are so physical or so, or or so dynamic or maybe so durable that I feel they could really take a lot of punishment and stay in the fight. I mean, we saw OSP fight Ben Rothwell. That was a winnable fight for OSP. He had moments against Rothwell. And as Rothwell, for being a power puncher, uh, OSP really handled the power. I mean, that fight really could have gone either way. I, I wouldn't have been mad if they would have voted for OSP. And OSP isn't as smart a fighter as John Jones. He's not as skilled a fighter as John Jones. So when the only advantage is size and, and power... It's hard for me to go against a guy who's consistently shown better conditioning, better range of skills, better cage IQ, and better poise under pressure. If they don't knock him out, I don't know that any of them beats him. And I don't know that John Jones is planning on fighting for another five or six years. I think he's going to take another one or two, maybe three fights in heavyweight, and he's going to call it a day. So I don't think he needs to have longevity for, for the weight class. And I think that his style still allows him to maintain some longevity just because he's operating at a higher level than most of these guys. And when we're talking about these guys who got to Jones, these guys are Dominic Reyes is a super athletic light heavyweight. Santos is a middleweight who moved up to light heavyweight. So he's still got middleweight speed and explosiveness. Who, who heavyweight has that kind of speed and explosiveness outside of Ngannou? I, I, I don't know the person who does. Question. And who, who has the conditioning? Maybe, maybe Stipe? And even Stipe, and I would favor him against Jones, even Stipe has been looking really ragged late in these fights himself. So when you have a technical advantage, an IQ advantage, probably have at least a recuperative ability advantage, and you have a, and you have a strategic advantage, it's hard for me to say that size and power is enough. When most of these guys, I know they're all heavyweights, I know they're all big, but most of these guys aren't devastating knockout punchers in the first place. So, you know, 
most guys, I, I have a clear avenue for of success for Jones. And I, I think that he could translate to heavyweight and, and be just fine, given the current heavyweights he has to face. Now, if he stays around for seven, eight years, okay, it's going to catch up to him. But at this rate, I figure he could be a heavyweight for at least two or three years and be and be pretty decent. Outside of Nganu, I think every other risk as far as power is manageable. Good, sir. Good, sir. Um, the only other question that we got for this week is a reference to one Brock Lesnar. Do you think he's coming back for mixed martial arts? I'm actually writing about this tonight. I don't think he is, but I, th- I think this is this is the, the, the biannual Brock Lesnar sweepstakes where he runs around and says he's a, he's a free agent for professional wrestling and he you know is is open to takers or suitors or whatever. I think he is going to stick with professional wrestling, maybe even on a lesser scale now because I feel like they're moving away from wanting to use him so much. Even though there's already rumors of talking about WWE wants him back for um, WrestleMania next year, but I think he stays away from that. If he does return to MMA, though, I would not be surprised if Bellator, if, if he ends up in Bellator for that fight against Fedor. What are your thoughts about that, Shawan? Where do you think he would end up? Uh, I'd have to say it's the safest bet. Bell- Fedor still has some athleticism. He's still a far better skilled fighter. But Lesnar doesn't like to get hit, but physically he can handle getting hit. Even in his last fight, he didn't like to. You know he doesn't like getting hit. But it wasn't like when, whenever he got hit, hit, he crumbled because he couldn't take it. He crumbled because he doesn't – mentally he can't take it. Physically he can. I, I don't know that Fedor can take punishment anymore. So if Fedor can somehow navigate his, his bull rush and, and navigate him taking him down or forcing him to the cage and opening up on him, then yeah, Fedor is going to – his superior striking and his quicker hands are – and his poise are going to allow him to expose Brock Lesnar. But if Lesnar can land a big shot on him, um, I don't know that Fedor can recover. And the heavyweight division is also thin in, in Bellator, but it's thin with a lot less risk. Stipe Miocic is a risk to Brock Lesnar. Francis Ngannou is a risk to Brock Lesnar. Curtis Blade is a risk to Brock Lesnar. Even Overeem is a risk to Brock Lesnar. Even at this stage, there's more winnable fights and there's more simply more big-name money fights over there and more fights that fall within his wheelhouse as far as his ability to win. You know, they could put him in against Big Country at first, just get him acclimated because Big Country's been fighting, take him down, work him over. They, there's a lot of guys who just can't stop his takedown. There's a lot of guys who just athletically can't handle him. And in the UFC, there's still four or five guys at least who can handle his athleticism and who are good enough wrestlers where if, if Brock Lesnar's conditioning isn't on point, He'll win a round, maybe a round and a half. But then from that point on, he's going to get beat pillar to post, unless he's going to get a title fight right away or he's going to fight John Jones. Those are the only two fights that make any sort of sense for him to go to the UFC. Big money fights, high-profile fights, fiddle. Whether he loses or not, he can look good in for moments, and he can make a lot of money in. In Bellator, he could actually be there, I think, for two or three years and do pretty well. In the UFC, uh Whoever he fights, it's fifty-fifty proposition. He fights John Jones. I, I don't. I think maybe he gets maybe out of the first round, maybe second round he wins. He loses, but there's there's a lot of guys who can beat him in UFC. There's not as many guys who would who could beat him and would give him the payday and the exposure he wants in Bellator, outside of Fedor. So maybe for a one fight deal. But if he's looking to make multiple paydays, the UFC is probably the better option. 
or just the one payday with Jones, just it's just a better fight. It just makes more money than anything else they have to offer him in Bellator. I get to big three. To Do you think that a fight, Schwan? I don't know what that is. That I have no idea what that was. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay, so I, I think a fight with Fedor does. It's a massive draw. There will be a lot of money to be made there. Um, but I do think that there's more money fights for Lesnar across a maybe two to three fight tenure in the UFC. I don't even, I, if he was to go back to UFC, I think he would only take one. I don't think it would be even two and three. It would be that fight with Jones and that's it. But I don't think he's coming back to Miss Martial Arts, to be honest. And I'm going to write more about that later on today, which you can, uh, or tonight, which you will be able to find over on MMA ratings, sir. Yeah. It's it's a tough way to make a living. I don't think it's worth it, but I think he could. I think he could really. I mean, if you look at some of these numbers, they're getting pay per view wise. If he can get some in on the pay per view action, him versus Jones, I think does a million buys even now. Him versus Jones, I think does a million buys, and if he's getting paid his usual fee, probably more, and he gets a percentage of that pay per view, I think that sets him up for another run with the wrestling promotion, or it sets him off to take a break. I don't know that I don't know that Bellator has that reach. I don't know that Fedor at this point has that reach. Jones still hasn't been defeated. Fedor got knocked out like four months ago, six months ago. Whenever whenever Bader knocked him out with the first shot he took. Now Fedor would have won that heavyweight Grand Prix. We have a different conversation. But Fedor was knocked out with the first shot he was touched with in that Grand Prix. I don't know how they sell that fight the way they want to sell it, to where they where Lesnar makes the money he he wants to make with it. True, sir. True. Um, we're going to go ahead and close out now. Why don't you let everybody know what you're working on? Um, I'm just working on uh, working on my uh, uh, live action pieces. Uh, I'm still thinking about doing one for the Cobra Kai just because people like the show and just kind of give, give it some context as far as the fight scene. But um, I was, Michael's not too sure if that w- would do very well. But I think if I waited until the premiere for it, I think I think we do some numbers. Still working on the Black Widow piece, and then a, a couple other pieces I got going. So that's that's all I'm doing. That and talking about either basketball or fight um, on Twitter. I feel like Cobra Kai has really been picking up in popularity. I actually need to start it. Um, it's good. I need to start it, but I haven't. I haven't. You know, I don't. I haven't. I don't watch too much TV. It it will change your perspective on some of these characters when you watch. You'll be like, Ugh, maybe 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 I don't like him as much as I thought I did. Yeah, I've, I've heard it's kind of like it looks at uh, whatever Ralph Macchio's character as the bully, which I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing. But um, yeah, that's really he's not a I terrible person, but he is a he, he he is petty as fuck in this show. You watch, you be like, this dude is so fucking petty. Like, good God, man, let this man live. But you that's know, that I'm, I thought. A, I'm a fan of pettiness. I am a fan of pettiness. Will and will forever be this, one. So I'm not even going to argue is, that. This is also true. You he might he might have another fan on the show. You be like. That's right, Daniel. Don't let him have a second. Not a moment of happiness. Take it. Take it all. So, yeah, man, we're going to go ahead and close out. Swan, I appreciate you being on another show this weekend. We'll be back next week to talk more MMA. And thank you for everyone for listening to episode 177 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Have a good night, everyone. Take care.